It's time for the PowerMizzou.com podcast with interviews and analysis of your Missouri Tigers. Now, here's your host, Gabe DeArmond. Welcome back to another week of the PowerMizzou.com podcast. Gabe DeArmond and Mitchell Forty here, Missouri and Vanderbilt, 3 o'clock SEC Network on Saturday. We are going to talk to our friend Chris Lee from VandySports.com. Chris, what's going on, man? Lots of things are going on. Uh, fortunately, for my Pete, if you're a Vanderbilt fan, not a lot of them are always good. Yeah, yeah. It, like this is a terrible question to start an interview with, but I don't really know how else to say this. Like, why is Vanderbilt this bad? Well, Gabe, you you have covered a disaster or two. I know when you're <laughs> and so his his experts in this sort of thing. And I, I don't mean to make light of it, but when when something goes horribly wrong. The first thing you do is usually you start poking around behind the scenes to people that will tell you the truth, and you find out things, you know, that the coaching isn't what it needs to be. There's some kind of divide in the locker room. There's some kind of distrust between coaches and players. And, you know, I'm, I'm not going to come out with specifics, but the, the background I'm getting behind the scenes is, is that kind of situation. And, and once you get in one of those spots, you know, I, I don't know how you get out of the death spiral of those kind of seasons usually. Do you feel like, you know, obviously last week was, was the worst of those losses, losing at home to UNLV by three scores. Do you do you feel like that is kind of the death blow to, to Derek Mason? Were you surprised that, that no move was made this week? And, and how long of a leash do you think he kind of has at this point? Um, I had written the week before, and I'd gone back and looked at Sagarin ratings over the last 25 years or so, and... <laughs> There's been quite a tolerance for poor play at Vanderbilt for about 60 <laughs> years now. and But at some point, you kind of reach the point where everybody kind of knows this is, is ending or, or this should end or those kind of things. And so then I'm like, okay, what does that look like? Let's look at Sagarin ratings. Let's see where Vanderbilt rates within the Power Five and, and the FBS and those kind of things. And let's look at margins of victory. And I, I line those up with the other seasons that had gotten coaches run out. And I'm not going to say Derek's season this year was the worst of those, but it was right at least inside the fringe of, of what gets you fired at Vanderbilt. And that was before the UNLV game, um, which UNLV is so bad that if they played that a game, if they played that game again right now, and Nashville Vanderbilt would still be a seven-point favorite. <laughs> so, I mean, they're, in, they're already getting in that territory – he lost all the fans, even the ones that would defend him tooth and nail after the Ole Miss game, and that was before UNLV. So, I look, I think he's got an expensive number next to his contract, thanks to the old AD who gave him a parting gift on the way out and made him basically untouchable for 2019 or 2020. But as a booster friend of mine said, I guess everything has a price, and I have a feeling there's been some – uh, some talks about what that price might be and what it might take behind the scenes. All right, we'll get back to, to big picture stuff in a minute, but look, I don't really feel like spending a lot of time breaking this game down, and I don't think you do either, but just... No. <laughs> I, I, I mean, paint me the picture in which this is a game in the fourth quarter that Vanderbilt somehow has a chance to win. Well, look, the bottom line is they still have some really good players on the team. I mean, let's not forget that before the season, Jared Pinckney was an All-American tight end on some level, and, and some people had him first team. Keyshawn Vaughn 
I think, made Athlon second-team All-American. He's a great ball player and, and, and still is having a really nice year. Kalijah Lipscomb was a preseason first-team All-SEC receiver. So you have players. I mean, the game is about playmakers and getting them the ball. So you know, theoretically, they have some pieces there to do something with. Now, their quarterback play has been terrible. Their offensive line play has been terrible. So maybe it doesn't matter. But, you know, that in, in the game that you guys covered in the opener. I mean, I know the Wyoming program pretty well. I was quite shocked that, <laughs> that Missouri lost that game. But you know what it took. It was turnovers and not just not just turnovers. It was the 14-point the swing kind of turnovers. So, you know, look, I'm, I'm sure there's a universe out there where because of those things, you could see Vanderbilt make it interesting. But uh, that, that's kind of a hard lo- universe to locate with a telescope right now. <laughs> My one uh, matchup-specific question is, uh, you know, we, we know Vanderbilt's defense is, has not been good. But, you know, Derek Mason, I mean, he he's more of a defensive-type coach. He has been throughout his career. What what has gone kind of so wrong uh, with, with that unit and, and what might Missouri be able to exploit on Saturday? A lot of people who know football better than me, which is a lot of people on our board who've played, um, just say that the players don't look like they understand the scheme. Um, You know, you see a lot of bad angles, a lot of guys out of position. That's the kind of thing. A lot of people think the Jason Tarver scheme is just too complicated. And I'll give you a good example. The highest rated recruit on their roster is a kid named Allison Orgy. He's an inside linebacker. An inside linebacker has probably been where they have graded the worst of any position on the season. Orgy's an inside linebacker. Again, he was the highest-rated recruit on the team. He's taken two snaps this season. And when he asked the question, what you hear is he just doesn't have a grasp on what to do yet. I'm thinking, well, if you got a kid that played at the highest level of Texas football and was a stud there, he's one and a half seasons into his college career, and he doesn't understand it yet. Maybe you have a problem. I just think that's kind of where they are. Well, it doesn't appear that the guys who are out there at this point maybe have a huge grasp on it either, so trying something different wouldn't be the worst thing. Um, I, I I think in all our conversations over the years, like we understand the challenges Vanderbilt has in this league, but what it, what this comes down to is Vanderbilt has to decide how much it cares about football, right? If they decide to make a change – they're going to have to decide just how committed they want to be to this thing. Yeah, and, and I think that commitment may come with a, a five-figure price tag, as crazy as that sounds, to get rid of, or not five figures. Uh, probably what I've heard, maybe as much as 10 or $20 million to get rid of the staff, which is a lot of money. Chris, uh, we should have been college football coaches, man. $10 million <laughs> oh, I, I to either not either work? Our agent. Hey, I, I will not coach college football for $10 million. I just want to get that out there. <laughs> right. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's a number involved in there. And, and look, they just paid Bryce Drew's staff about $7.1 million to go away uh, as soon as Malcolm Turner got there. Now, I don't know. You can look at that two ways. You can say that Vanderbilt's willing to do that kind of thing, which historically it has not been. Or you could say, well, now that they've just paid that, uh, you know, there's less money to do it with. I don't know what the truth is, um, but somebody brought up a really good point. Like, if you've already promised the coach that much money, it's a sunk cost. You've got to pay him either way. And the implication from that is what you have to pay the next staff to come. So I think really that's where the focus ought to be because they've got to make a change. And uh, it'll just be interesting to see how the math plays out. 
Chris, I don't know if it's getting a little ahead of things to, to start naming, bringing up a hot board, but I know certainly that the fans will have been doing it at this point, probably have been for a little while. One, one thing, you you know, you kind of mentioned they might be limited as to how much uh, they're able to, to sink into a new coach, a new staff, and certainly Vanderbilt has, you know, some historical limits that, that might make it not, you know, the most attractive job to, to every Coach, what what kind of are some of the names that that you think might be possible, and and do you think it's possible that that Vanderbilt, given its situation, might be you know a school that, that embraces maybe like a, a triple option type of system just to to try something different? Yeah, that always comes up, and you know I think the names Ken Neo Matalolo uh, and Jeff Monk and who are at Navy and Army respectively would would be guys that you know you might see on a hot board. I think Will Healy at Charlotte. Might be another name. Uh, he coached here at Austin P, which was basically the FCS equivalent of Vanderbilt in terms of, boy, it can't get a lot lower than that. And he got them competitive. And I don't remember if they got to the playoffs or close, but he took them from the very bottom rung of that division and turned them around quickly. I mean, I think the bottom line is I don't know that it's as much about scheme as it is crossing your T's and dotting your I's. And I've covered two coaches who are elite. One's James Franklin and one is Tim Corbin, who is, of course, the baseball coach, Mm -hmm. in case part of your audience doesn't follow baseball as much. Of course, Tim just won a national title, and those guys didn't miss a trick. Uh, They weren't always the favorite coaches uh, in terms of being people at the time that they had some of those players. They maybe didn't care for them in some ways, but they respected them because they put them in position to win and, again, they didn't miss anything. I'm not, to me, as hung up on the scheme that they run as I am finding a guy who can get the details right. That's what they need. That's what they don't have now. Uh, but the wild card in this is you've got an AD who is a commissioner of the NBA G League. And when he made a hire in basketball, you know, we had this hot board drawn up right away with some names that made sense. And, and none of those guys, I'm not going to say they weren't considered – but in the end, they hired Jerry Stackhouse, who was nowhere near our radar or anybody's radar. So that's the variable. It's, it's you got a guy who's not been an AD. He's got his own set of connections, and you just don't know where he'll go. Well, Chris, I just want to say, if I covered a school that actually did hire Ken Niamatololo, the first question I would ask him would be, can I just refer to you as Ken in all my stories? And if I can't, <laughs> I would quit. Like, I, I couldn't type that name 2,700 times a week. <laughs> That'd be full V, Gabe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned uh, what I wanted to actually spend a few minutes talking with you about, and again, Chris Lee from VandySports.com. Uh, Jerry Stackhouse is this, like, in some ways, less so in basketball than than in football, but in some ways, Vanderbilt does have to go about things a little bit different way. Like Jerry Stackhouse is a very non traditional uh, hire. Um, a little bit. There was another one in the state with Penny Hardaway, but that one made some sense with his ties to Memphis and his AAU ties and all that. What's what's your impressions of Stackhouse been over the last you know five six months? Well, it's clear that he is putting all his chips in the development basket. He's even come out and said, you know, we may not hit the recruiting trail as hard as some other guys because we're going to put our time into being with our players, and developing them, which is. <laughs> Well, you can take that a couple of ways. Um, one, one way you can take it is that that is a red flag. The other way is you look at a couple of coaches who did well last year uh, in Rick Barnes and Kermit Davis, and neither of those guys had guys that really were well thought of at all in terms of recruiting services, but what those coaches did 
as they had them disciplined and they developed their players. And I think those 10 years have gone much better than anybody suspected. So his approach is going to be different. He's pretty closed off. Not a lot of practices are open. But the one thing that's clear is they want to get things done on the defensive end. And that's where their bread is going to be buttered. And he's not going to tolerate lack of hustle or things like that, which I think plagued them at times a year ago. So now the problem they have is if you look at the landscape of coaches in this league, it's it's murderer's row if I've ever seen one. I, I did the math, and I think the 13 head coaches in the SEC, of course Stackhouse has never coached a college game, are like 2,300 games above 500 in their careers. And I think Tom Crean is 13th in winning percentage, and he's won two Big Ten titles, and he's been to a Final Four somewhere else, which is Marquette. So that's the lay of the land that he walks into, and even if he does a good job, it's going to be brutally tough. Yeah, we were actually, Gabe and I were talking a little bit last night. People were talking about where Consul Martin kind of ranked in the league. I mean, it is, you're right, it is a, a very stiff uh, group of coaches there. Uh, one, one thing wanted to follow up with your comments about Stackhouse. I mean, you know, as someone who's selling kind of development, is he maybe kind of bracing the, the fans for a, a bit of a lean year kind of to, to start out, or is there expectation that, that they might be able to compete to be like a bubble team this season? He, he doesn't really address it much at all. Reading between the lines, um, you know, I, I don't think that's how he thinks. I, I, I think that I don't know if he's got an inflated opinion of his coaching abilities or not. I, I don't know what the smart thing to do is there. You certainly don't want to say and have your team see that, okay, we don't think we can compete right now. So he really, I think, is kind of smartly – stayed away from talking in terms of expectations, but but he's made it clear we want to win. He just doesn't say win. <laughs> All right, Chris, last thing for you, just, uh, you know, most Missouri fans have been to Nashville at this point. Obviously, after the game, they're going to hit Broadway and stuff, but it, we keep getting a lot of questions like what to do around the stadium before the game. So, so give me a couple places within walking distance from the stadium that uh, Missouri fans ought to hit up because – if past games are any indication, there will be good tickets and a number of uh, visiting fans in attendance. Yeah, there will be plenty of tickets available, so I would advise fans not to spend too much for one anywhere. Uh, and, and I think you'll be able to sit just about wherever you want, so there's <laughs> that. Um, you know, one of my favorite places is Centennial Park. It's right across the street from the stadium. Uh, it's a, a full-scale replica of the, the Greek Parthenon. It's really cool. There's like an art museum inside. I, I haven't been to that in forever, but there's that. Like if you just want to hang out and take a stroll. Uh, the, the area around campus is beautiful. You know, the, the heart of downtown is, is really like two miles away. So you go to, to Broadway, and, of course, that's where Tootsie's and all the, the bars are and the country music stuff. I mean, Vanderbilt is in a great location. It's beautiful. You can throw a rock and find something to do from about any point near that campus. So uh, there's just a ton of stuff. I I would just say, you know, consult the Internet and and find what it is you want to do because you will find it not too far from that campus. All right, Chris. Appreciate it, man. And uh, Mitchell will hit you up on uh, Saturday, and I will wave from my couch in Columbia. (laughs) Thanks, Chris. (laughs) Well, you guys both be safe in your own ways. <laughs> All right, have a good one. Chris Lee, VandySports.com. And, look, he has the same outlook on this as we do. He actually told me when the line came out at 21, he texted me and said Missouri should double that. Wow. Yeah. I mean, like, it's imp- nearly impossible to look at Vanderbilt's performance and this year <laughs> and not anything see that. Else. I mean, like, yeah. you know, the pro football focus numbers, and I do that 
preview story every week. They they go they do some FCS teams as well uh, in their rankings. So it's beyond just 130. And Vanderbilt ranks like I think it's like I don't know like they're over 160th in both offense and oh. defense. So there's like 30 plus FBS teams better than them in both. Well. So that's or this FCS weekend. team. Sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's this weekend. Yeah. Uh, we'll cover it. You know what happens happens, and and we'll deal with that. So uh, earlier we were talking about you know kind of the national view of Missouri football, and we want to transition this a little bit. Spend a few minutes talking about basketball. Season does start in well, I don't know, fifteen days. There's an <laughs> exhibition game. Yeah. Um, they will scrimmage Creighton at some point before that we will maybe get a final score and some we'll hear if anyone hopefully yeah hopefully not any news out of that uh like there was last year but um SEC media days was yesterday and it's not a thing like it is at football where fans line up and stuff I don't think anybody that covers Missouri went it's just not as big a deal It, it falls right in the middle of football season and it just doesn't really work for anybody to go down to Birmingham but Missouri was picked 16th or 13th, not 16th. No, 16th that, would, that be would be different. They were picked 13th bad. in the league by the league media. And like, let me get this out there first. The people voting on this are people a lot like you and I, uh, you and me, sorry. If you asked me to name 10 players that don't play for Missouri in the SEC, I'm really not sure I could do it right now, so I couldn't fill out an all-first-team and all-second-team SEC. So the fact that people like that are picking, you know, the order of finish in the all-league team, like, just put no stock in it because right. the people voting for it don't put any stock in it. Right, yeah, no, I mean, we just people love rankings so much and they just got to make a big deal out of it. It's just, it just means nothing. It really does. It's not even, like, worth like being like, oh, this could light a fire under the team. It means that little, you know. It's just, uh, yeah, like you said, it's people who who you know are covering these other teams and they probably and in the middle football of football season. season. Exactly, yeah. that's the thing. Like you know, with with football media days, at least we've had nothing to do for months, so we can sit around and do a little research. Yeah, like basketball I, media days, we got other stuff to do. My my favorite thing about preseason polls that I always like to say is when we go to Hoover for SEC football media days, we get to vote for the all conference team. Yeah. And now they do at least give us a list. They right. don't just make us fill out a ballot. But I legitimately have voted for offensive linemen, all SEC first team, because I names? think they have cool names. <laughs> oh, I'm saying. I mean, Are that's it. Bun- I, I know nothing about Bunchy them. Stallings? That's yeah. 100% a first teamer. Yeah. <laughs> I think he actually was last year, too. And, but, I mean, the point is we don't know anything about it. Like, if you tell me name five offensive linemen in the Tennessee – or in the SEC, I have to name Missouri's offensive line right. because I don't think I know any other. Yeah, ones. I've I've heard of like one or two at like Georgia or Bama who are being discussed as like potential it, mock draft picks to the Broncos. Right, <laughs> and it, it, like the people listening to this right now are throwing things against the wall, going, "This is your job. How yeah. do you know this little about well, I it?" Get, but, I get it. I get it. And I like you know we we had someone. A good example, put something on our board this week of a, a story of someone who broke down, you know, Missouri, and it was mm-hmm. very factually inaccurate very and good, also yeah. just the sentiment was wrong. And, like, I get being frustrated about that. And But, like, we're, we're saying that we don't know this, but we also, we didn't fill out didn't ballots, vote. and right. we aren't writing about these other teams. We're, we're putting all of our time into covering Missouri football, right. which is, there's a lot to go on with that right now. And we'll absolutely cover basketball, you and, know. And, by the time they tip off against SEC teams, I will know players yes, exactly. on the other team. Yeah, and that's another part of it is the first half of the season is, is you know, largely pretty useless, you know, it, it, unless they lose. You know, I so. was talking to a friend last night, 
the way people judge college basketball, unless you are the diehard, like John Rothstein-level college yeah. basketball fan, the way people judge college basketball doesn't even start until the first week in March. It is the most worthless regular season in all of sports. Yeah. I mean, you, because you can lose 12 games and still get in the tournament right. if they're the right 12 games. Like, I, I loved college basketball growing up. I would sit around on, you know, Monday night was the Big East and the, the Big 12, mm-hmm. and then Tuesday was Super Tuesday in the SEC, and I would watch the ACC. Like, I would watch any game that was on. I haven't done that for years because the truth is none of them matter. Yeah, I mean, the, like, yeah, the, the regular season matters to an extent, but like, it's not it that hard to, to be, put yourself in right. a position. It's not that hard to to get to you know march and be one of the like fifty teams with a right. shot at an at large bid. Right. I mean, if college football was about, hey, just find a way to get to eight and four, yeah. and then we're going to put you in this thirty-two team tournament to win it. Well, then, I mean, all you got to do is. Find eight easy wins and then be good at the right time. And I'm not saying one's the, the NCAA basketball tournament is the best thing in all of sports. Right. I love it. I watch every game. It's phenomenal television, and I think it, it, college basketball has marketed itself that way. But the point is, the first four and a half months are are just largely worthless. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah that's true. Especially and and especially you know when they're they're starting off against what like Incarnate Word or whatever you know and yes. we've got football season going on so, which yeah, I, I thought mean, by the way was an all girls high school in St. Louis they're very good at volleyball <laughs> I mean it might be that might be who they're playing I don't know you know really <laughs> I, if Kristen Folkel shows up really on the low court down the, Missouri, the really low down the strength of schedule list yeah yeah um but let's get to the actual point of the discussion which is yes I think I think 13th in the SEC is kind of ridiculous yeah. for Missouri. I, I mean, look, I, I'm not one of these people who thinks, hey, this is a top four team in this league and a tournament lock. Like, I think this is a potential tournament team. I think it will be disappointing if they are not in the tournament. But 13th just – I mean, the way people fill these ballots out is how were they last year and what did they lose off last right. year? Okay, good. Uh, they lost the guy who scored the most points. Um, they're not going to be any good this year. And I don't really shame someone who covers LSU for not knowing Drew Smith. Right. Because I couldn't tell you anything about a player at LSU other than the guys who have been in trouble in federal court. Those <laughs> yeah. guys' names I know. Yes. I, you know, Javante Smart, Smart <laughs> I know him. But yeah. I couldn't tell you who Will Wade's best incoming recruit is or if Frank Martin has a transfer sitting on his bench that's going to be good. It's not – you know, yes, I think the the point is, I think that expectation is too low. Right. Yeah. No, I agree. I, I understand how the that came to be with them being voted 13th. I would be pretty stunned if they're that low. I think. So what's the range? I So I, that's where I was just getting. So I think I think the SEC is going to be like we've seen it the last couple of years where it's really like, you know, you have you have a couple teams separate. So maybe three teams out front and then you Kentucky, have like Florida. Uh, yeah. Kentucky and Florida. And then you have like teams like three or four through like. Nine to eleven, who are yeah. separated by a game or two. Yeah. So I think I think we'll say that. I'll say best case scenario probably third in the league, um, worst case eleventh. And, and I don't even know who the two two or three teams that I think are like below everybody. Yeah. I don't think Vandy's going to be very good. No, Vandy probably um, won't be all that good. I mean, you know, a lot of people don't think Texas A and M is going to be very good, but I think a lot of Buzz Williams. I do too, but I don't know that he has any players but, coming back although again i don't really know but like i could see missouri going to college station and lose and i don't sure. know the schedule i don't have it yeah. in front of me but if they go to college station they could lose that game the, yeah. 
the team that finishes fifth in this league is going to be the one who manages to win at places like Missouri and Tennessee and Mississippi State. The one that finishes 11th is is going to be the one that manages to drop a home game to Georgia or South Carolina. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that there will be a, a lot of teams like, yeah, like I said, really cl- tightly bunched there all the way kind of through the meat of the standings. And I think that's probably where, where Missouri will be. And yeah. that could, yeah, I mean, like really and truly, you know, I, we, we say that, you know, the – the regular season is, is meaningless and like not totally meaningless. I get your point. But like it is probably gonna come down to one or two games that separate yeah. them from like top four to bottom four. Right. We just don't have any idea which one or two games those will be. I think I think Ole Miss is is a probable top four team. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think Missouri like I think the realistic ceiling is probably around fifth. Mm-hmm. And the realistic floor should, like you said, be about eleventh because and that's if they lose the majority of the swing games. Like, they're going to be good enough that they're not going to lose all the swing games. Right. Of course, barring this is all barring the best yes. players getting hurt right. again, like the past couple of years. If he so. actually has his team, you know, my team is on the floor, um, <laughs> then then he'll be in good shape. Um, other than that, I don't know. Chiefs and Broncos play tonight, and we're both pretty <laughs> convinced neither of our teams is ever winning another football game. I would say I'm more convinced. And honestly, fine yeah, with I that. I think my team will be, win one soon. I would be just, relatively okay with it. I mean, they, they're, they've so, really played themselves into no man's land the past couple weeks. They keep winning yeah. these, they won two games. And That's I no did, good. I did post on the message board. I heard a, a an interview with a reporter out of Denver who said, look, they've got they've – got, uh, the Chiefs, and then they're at Indy. If they lose those two games, then they're in a bye. And I could see them at some point pretty soon after that maybe wanting to see what they had in Drew Locke. I mean, I don't know how closely you're paying attention yeah. to Denver and if you think that's a, I mean, a well, possibility. I don't know. I, sure, it's possible. I mean, you know, as things are going bad, everyone right. wants change, and especially the but people Flacco's who are fighting for their deal, jobs. Right? Yeah, I, I, I'll say this. One— uh, I, I actually don't think Flacco's been that terrible. He's not been good by any means. Right. But, like, the Broncos' offensive line is horrendous. It's so, so bad. And that's why I don't want Drew to have to play this season because he might get murdered. He already kind of did in the preseason. That's how he got hurt. Um, right. So, yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. I, I think I would not be surprised, especially if, you know, they're mathematically out of the playoffs or whatever. They lose their eighth game of the season, ninth game of the season relatively early on. And, you know, they, they want to see what they have in Drew Locke, um, especially if, you know, Elway's needs to feel like he, he can show that he drafted someone at that position to keep his job. Um, but I definitely think that, especially given the fact that Drew hasn't been practicing, that would right. not be best for him right. to just go out there and play behind that offensive line. Yeah. Could the Chiefs and the Broncos between them field an offensive line that wouldn't get a quarterback killed right oh, now? Oh, I don't know about that. Yeah, <laughs> either. I, I don't know much about the Chiefs line other than it's that their, their own. Their their one of their Patrick Mahomes' teammates tried to end his season. So yeah, and that was like he was already having. Pro, pro Football Focus would have graded him like a nine in that game before <laughs> that play. After that play, he was a negative seven hundred. So he can go hang out with Lynn Elliott. Um. At, yeah, that's all we got, man. We, I mean, we're clearly digging deep if we're talking right. Chiefs and Broncos not, on this podcast. Not a lot to talk about as far as Mizzou this week because, it, again, it's just a game they should win. Next week, yeah, it's a game they should win, but next week's more interesting, sure. right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they have to they have to show they can beat Kentucky at some mm-hmm. point. So we'll do that next Thursday. Um, again, Mitchell will be in Nashville, um, and I will be supplementing his coverage by, I don't know, 
perhaps drinking perhaps at Bank Seven and watching the game. Yeah, yeah. No, I'll, I'll figure out something. Um, I'll contribute um, in my own way. And so enjoy the coverage this weekend. Basketball season a couple weeks away. We will probably try to line up uh, maybe Robin Pinchton on this podcast. Maybe get somebody to talk a little SEC basketball in the next couple of weeks. And uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back next Thursday.